we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Let's give the Lord a great big praise. Come on. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Oh, God is so good. Aren't you thankful? Look at somebody beside you and say, aren't you thankful? Amen. Amen. God is good. We're continuing our question series today. And uh, you say, well, I miss the other parts. That's okay. These kind of stand alone. We're asking different questions. And today's question is, can God use me? Can God use me? I want you to look at somebody beside you and I want you to ask them that question. Can God use me? Amen. Now, don't answer them unless it's a yes, because that's the answer. Yes, God can use you. All right. Um, I want us to kind of just dive into this this morning and, and see where the Lord takes us through this. This is a two-parter, so we will usually, I try to keep it to one, but this is, this is something we're going to be addressing over the next couple of weeks. So can God use me? All right. We are God's tools. Okay, uh, every tool needs a job uh, to do, or every job needs a tool, and you got to have the right tool. Like I got off a red eye, don't I? So we have two that got off a red eye this early this morning, uh, and they were in Hawaii. I was expecting some hula dancing during worship, but I didn't get any. So anyway, just kidding. You can laugh in church; it's all right. Even if it's a bad joke, it'll get by faster. All right. So again, every tool needs the, every job needs the right tool. I want you to think about it. Have you ever tried to? Uh, if you know what a Phillips head screw is, anybody in the room has ever tried to use a flathead to turn a Phillips head? And how many ever got a hammer to make that that screw into a flathead? Okay, so that you could turn that screw. Well, you've got to have the right tools. I I can remember. Uh, just some jobs I would do sometimes with my father, and you, you would need a certain tool to do that job. He would work on his cars, and if you don't have the right tool, it makes that job a whole lot more difficult. you got to have the right tool. So I want you to keep that in mind as we move through this message today. Um, God has created each of us to be a tool in his hand, to be useful to him, to, do, to perform a purpose and a task in his hand. He creates us with that specific task that only can be accomplished by being shaped and fashioned into what he wants us to be. God wants you to be what he wants you to be, not necessarily what you want to be. There's a lot of times that we try to, to, to formulate our future and plan out and make our plans, but God has different plans for us. We are useful as long as we are being shaped by, by the hand of the Lord. But once we resist the shaping of the Lord, then our usefulness is lost. And why? Because this is a rebellious spirit. Now, I know a lot of people that want to be used of the Lord and they are being used of the Lord, but then it gets to a frightening point in their life where they may have to make a decision that they don't that will stray away from something they have in mind and it, it, it worries them so much that that they'll back away or they'll walk away from what God has in mind for them. I want you to understand something this morning that God wants to use each and every one of us but we have to be willing to be used. He's not going to force you to be used from him. He wants he wants that willing heart. He wants us to to serve him out, out of a heart that is long to be used of him. Every single believer can and will be used of God if they are willing to go through the process of being shaped. Amen. Uh, you and I are useful. How? How do I know that? Because God uses people. Now I want you to hear this. Even people who are damaged, 
Even people who are damaged, even people who have been beat up by life, lived a sinful life, cast off the, the Lord and went their own way, God can use you. God loves to use a lost cause. Amen? And there's a lot of people that feel like they can't be used of God because I'm damaged goods or I'm, I, I, I've been damaged so much by this world, I can't be used of the Lord. I'm a lost cause to, and, and there's no way God can really use me. Maybe back before I made my bad decisions, God could have used me, but now I'm just going to be happy to get to heaven. Look, I understand being happy just to get to heaven, but I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference along the way. I'd like to take a few people with me on the journey. How about you? Is there some people you have in mind today that you would like for to join you on your journey to heaven? Then I want to challenge you today to allow yourself to enter the process of becoming what God wants you to be. This morning, as we begin, we will. We're going to. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to make a statement. Then I'm going to ask you two questions. The statement is, uh, I can be used by God. Now the questions are this: Do I desire to be useful? Desire to be useful to God, and am I willing to be useful to God? There's two different things there. Desiring and being willing are two different things. I can desire to serve the Lord and not serve the Lord. I'm not willing to do what I need to do to serve the Lord. I can desire. Look, how many of you have ever desired to be an astronaut when you was a kid? But how many of you are astronauts? All right. How many of you have ever desired something, but you never did what you needed to do in order to do it? Okay. That's everybody in the room. All of us have things that we wish we had done better. Okay. Um, we, we, we can spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror with regret saying, you know what? I wish, I wish I had done that. I desired to be you know, this, but I chose differently. I wasn't really willing to do it. We can desire to serve the Lord, but not be willing to serve Him with all our heart. We can say that we are committed in our mouths and in our heads, but not be committed in our actions and in our, 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 our actual lives. So have, have you ever wondered if God can use you? I, I don't know about you, but I used to wonder if God could use me all the time. Can God use me? And then I get really excited because I begin to read about the people he used in the Bible, and that begins to, to kind of shape my ideas of, of what he can do with me. Maybe you have a history that makes you question your usefulness to the Lord. The use Usefulness of a tool depends on the task to be accomplished, meaning simply this. I want that tool that is made for the task. As I told you, I want the right tool for the job. So does God. And so God looks at us and says, I'm going to make you. i got a task for you to do, so I'm going to shape you and make you into what I want you to be. We are useful as long as we are shaped by God, but the moment we resist Him, it becomes rebellion, and rebellion is a sin. And so what does that require? It requires repentance on on my part. However, there's a bigger point to be made in all of this that I don't want you to miss. God is shaping and fashioning you and me to be used of Him. Every single one of us have a purpose. You are useful to God. How do I know you're useful to God? How do I know I'm useful to God? I, I know this because God uses people even when the world has rejected them. God uses people even when others have said there's no hope for that guy. I don't know about you, but there's probably some sitting in this room that you got wrote off of somebody's list a long time ago, but somebody believed that you could be more and you're here today. Right. You're here today. Now, all of us can be used to the Lord. As we look into the Word of God today, I'm going to introduce you to one of the people that was most, uh, would be voted most likely not to succeed as a follower of Christ, but his name was Saul of Tarsus. 
Now Saul would later be known to all of us as Paul and, and, and would write about a quarter of the New Testament. Some say he wrote half. He really didn't write half. He wrote about a quarter of it. But the truth is... Paul would do a tremendous ministry for the Lord. He would make a, a, a tremendous uh, impact on the kingdom of God. But Paul, before he was Paul, was a man named Saul. And Saul was not too useful to the kingdom of God because he fought against it. He fought it with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. And he thought he was doing the right thing while he was doing it. You and I must, in order to be used of God, and we're going to get back to Saul in a moment, we must first encounter him. So in other words, if you're here today, the bottom line is simply this. This is the foundation of what we're talking about. We cannot be useful to God unless we first met the Lord, unless we are saved, unless we know that we are living for Jesus, that our lives have been transformed by the grace and the blood of Jesus, then you and I, we're, we need to go to step one before we jump into step two. There's a lot of times there are a lot of people say, I want to be used of God, but they've never come to the cross. You say, "You, I don't know if that's true. I have met people who have come to the altar to pray for a calling in their life and then when I question them are you right with the Lord do you know if you would go I don't know I've never asked God and I, I don't know what you're talking about and I we got to back up here and we need to get the you know the main thing the main thing and the main thing here is that you give your heart to Jesus so if you're in this room and you don't know that you would go to heaven you have those doubts in your heart the very first thing I want to challenge you to today is that before you leave this room that you know that you know you are right with the Lord and you can know that amen the Bible says I can know that. We can know that we're right with God and we're on our way to heaven. Now, once that takes place, uh, that coming to Christ is, it, it, we, we think sometimes, and I know I used to think of this, that my, my coming to Jesus was a single, solitary, uh, uh, miraculous event. Now, uh, being saved was. The moment I asked him into my heart, I was saved. But that process of leading me to that point of decision began way before I ever knelt and asked him into my heart. And I'm going to kind of walk you through that today. We can, we can be useful to the Lord once we have met him, but we need to understand this is not some single grand moment where someone who had never heard the gospel suddenly hears it and believes. Coming to Jesus is normally uh, a slow attrition of experience. In other words, it's a process that works in our life, and I'm going to walk you through that. In other words, you meet someone who treats you with love and care, and that begins the process of your life. Or you read a track that somebody left behind at a restaurant or something, or at a, on a mailbox. You, you know, I have found them in public restrooms and you know uh, I guess everybody likes reading material but I found them there I don't know where you encountered a track and you read it, and it began that process. You have a friend who has enough uh, love for you to talk to you about Jesus. In other words, you come to a revival service, and you hear the Lord. You don't necessarily go forward at that service. You don't necessarily uh, go to church with a friend and come forward that day, but you hear the gospel for the first time. That process begins at that first encounter. Now, I want to walk you through the life of Saul, and, and, and we're going to start with what we have recorded in the Scripture as his first encounter with the Gospel. This is found in Acts, the 7th chapter, verse 57 through 60, and I'm going to read this for just a moment, and then we're going to go into some explanation. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Mark that verse. And as 
as we were stoning Steve, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not hold this sin against them." And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is Paul or Saul's first encounter with the gospel that is recorded. Now, he may have had an encounter before, but i got to go with what's in the Bible. And in the Bible, this is his first encounter of the gospel. And this first encounter of the gospel for this man named Saul comes evidently when he was in his youth. Because the Bible says they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul is a, a, a religious zealot for Judaism. He has been a true follower of uh, of the law and he was a Pharisee and that that, that took some training and he uh, more than likely was an officer of the Sanhedrin e- even if he didn't really serve on the Sanhedrin. There's some debate about that but he was an officer of the court or the Jewish court that would try and judge and, and decide whether somebody was guilty or innocent according to the Old Testament law. And so he was a very devout follower of the law and when this group of believers surfaced that began to talk about Jesus, began to talk about him being the son of God who was it that crucified Jesus it was the religious I know the Romans ultimately drove the nails but it is the religious people that turned him over to the, to the Romans to be tried and executed and, uh, and put in a grave what are you saying pastor I'm saying it was the religious hearts that were so hardened they could not hear the hope of Jesus that Jesus was sharing on the world and so Paul was or Saul was a part of that group and he heard this message and he rejected it. And so he said, I don't want nothing. I'm going to go and I'm going to find those people that are following this, this man that claimed to be the Son of God and I'm going to imprison them. I'm going to put them in jail and I'm going to make sure they suffer so that nobody wants to go and follow after this Jesus, this false Jesus. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm simply saying to you today that, that, that Saul's first encounter that we have recorded was a man named Stephen. Now Stephen, all we know about Stephen is that he preached one sermon and it cost him his life. Now he may have preached more than one, but we have a recorded of just one sermon. And so Stephen preaches with passion about Jesus being the Son of God. The Bible says the people in the synagogue, the religious people, rush holding their ears because they believed he was preaching blasphemy. They threw him out into the street and they begin to stone him. Now, in order to stone him legally, according to the Jewish law, there must be a representative of the Sanhedrin or a part officer of the court present and that was Saul of Tarsus and they laid their their coats at the feet of this man and he stood there watching them kill this man who had preached about Jesus and he stood there in approval of what they were doing but as he was standing there I'm not so sure he didn't turn white as a ghost when he heard this man say I forgive him I forgive them, God. Don't let them, don't lay this to their charge. They have no idea what the Lord, I forgive them. I want you to imagine that you are, you are sentencing somebody to death and that person looks you in the eye and says, I forgive you. Those people, I, I forgive you for killing me. I forgive you for what you're about to do. And I don't know what happened at that point because I know that, that Saul continued his persecution of the church and he continued it at a greater level after this encounter. But I do know this. I believe that this first introduction to the gospel was one little lick in the stone heart of him and it began the process of cracking open a heart that would be ready to encounter God and receive the gospel into 
his life. Now, I'm going to say this because I think some of us need to hear it. In other words, there's some that have written off a lot of people in this world and said they're hopeless. There's some we prayed for and we quit praying for them a long time ago because we feel like they're a lost cause. I want you to understand that there's a process as we begin to share the gospel that God is beginning to, to, to soften the heart of that individual. And I'm telling you right now, the church cannot be people that write people off, but we got to be people that dig in and keep on praying and keep on believing for the salvation of the soul. Amen. If we don't really believe that, we'll never see revival. We'll never see it. This was the first deposit into Saul's heart. Saul hears the gospel from Stephen. He hears him cry out for forgiveness of those who are killing him. Saul gets a taste of what the forgiveness of God looks like. I want you to imagine that. He gets a life lesson on what the forgiveness of God looks like. We can also assume that Saul persecuted, persecuted the church and that more deposits or more little licks against that heart of stone begin to take place because I don't believe Stephen was the last one to stand his ground. I don't believe Stephen was the last one out of those he imprisoned and brought in chains to, to share their faith or to say, you know, try to, to reason with him about the gospel. But I believe every time he, that, that he encountered the message of the Lord, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying keep on planting those seeds. I said keep on watering those seeds. Keep on believing that God can transform that heart. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on people. Oh my goodness, I feel like somebody's not even receiving that today. You need to hear me. Somebody didn't give up on you. Somebody kept believing in you when nobody else would. Some of you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a grandma or a mama or a daddy or some Sunday school teacher that got you and picked you up and brought you to church because your family wouldn't come to church. There's a reason you're here today. And I'm going to tell you, can we just give God some thanks for the people that are the reason we're here today? Amen. Somebody began to deposit the gospel into your life. Now, this is bringing us to this point. And I want you to continue. These little encounters with God's help began to add up. I was watching a special one day on, on I, I, watch, I watch nerd shows. I like to watch how they built stuff in ancient times. And they were, you know, showing how they used to quarry rocks. And they still use this same process today. They will chisel holes on a line, and then they'll drive wooden stakes, and then they pour water over those wooden stakes. And the next day, the, the stakes, the wood will swell, and there'll be a line that cracks, and that big stone that you don't think would crack, it's, it's broken half. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying there's a, there's a process in somebody's life. Maybe you feel like there's a heart of stone you're dealing with today. Maybe you've been praying for somebody for so long, you're tired of praying for them. I want you to know the more you keep on hammering away with God's help, the more that God is going to begin to open. Now, I will say this. Do not try to force open doors that God has not opened. Do not try to force open doors and conversations that God's not ready to, for you to have with somebody. But I'm going to tell you, if you've been friends with somebody for an extended period of time and you've never shared the hope of Jesus and they're still living a destructive life, there comes a point where you're going to have to have that conversation. Why? Because the fact is, if you never have that conversation, then that person could perish and go to hell before ever anybody ever talked. God has placed you in their life for a reason, and he didn't place you there to be their buddy. He placed you there to be salt and light and a reflection of the gospel. Right. Amen. We are to do what as believers? To make other believers. That is our job. That is our role. Now, again, not forcing those doors, but looking for the opportunities that God gives us. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to declare that some plant and some water, but God gives the increase. We must be faithful in sharing as we have an opportunity, uh, those opportunities. We trust God to bring the increase. In other words, we got to trust that God knows what he's doing, and we got to trust that God has a plan. We trust that God uh, and God to reap the harvest when the time comes. Now, I, I have preached revivals all over the world. I've been all over, you know, in different pulpits and preached with translators and done all that good stuff. And you know what? I'm, I'm sad to report to you, not everybody I ever preached to that was lost came to know Jesus. There was a lot of people I preached to that never made a move forward. Now, uh, there's a, there's a, a, a guy I know uh, that would, uh, I, I was at their home church three times when I was doing revivals, and he would play the drums. He would play the drums, and then he would leave and go sit outside because he wasn't a believer and he didn't want to hear it. He had had some church hurt. His dad had been a pastor. He had went through some things, but he wouldn't sit through an entire sermon. He wouldn't sit at all. He would leave and go outside and sit in his truck, and then somebody would let him know when it's time to come back in and play for the, for the altar time. But he would never sit and listen to the Word. Now, I got wind. I shared this and left out the most important part of the story this morning. It was early. But he would, I found out in the third revival I was doing, he would just go and sit in the fellowship hall. But you may have noticed I got a big mouth, and so he still hurt me. He wouldn't sit in the church, but he would still hear me. I want you to know, he never came to know Jesus in any moment when I was ministering in his church. But he now serves the Lord with his wife in, in several capacities doing work with young people. He's living for God today. Look, I have to believe somewhere along the line, I planted a seed. I never reaped the harvest. Somebody else reaped the harvest. I want you to understand, we're in this together. You may never reap the harvest of every seed you plant, but I'm here to tell you, just because I don't reap it in somebody's life instantaneously doesn't mean that it is in vain. Keep on planting seeds because somebody's going to come along in water and then somebody's going to reap that harvest. Amen. Keep on working for the Lord. Amen. Paul's second encounter, Saul's second encounter, the second encounter uh, that turns Saul, the, perse the, the persecutor of the church, into the apostle uh, uh, named, named Paul is found in Acts chapter 9 beginning with the first verse which says, but Saul still breathing threatening uh, threats. I want you to listen to the description of him. Paul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at, at Damascus so that if he found any any belonging to the way, they weren't called Christians then. They were called the way, and that's capitalized in your Bible because they, he, Jesus was what? The way, the truth, and the life. Anybody following the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice, say, a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do, what you are to do. And the men, uh, and the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. 
This encounter was finally the encounter that would forever change Saul of Tarsus into Paul, the apostle of Jesus. He had a powerful encounter with Christ. Saul was the leader of the Jewish religion after an encounter with Jesus, or a leader in the Jewish tradition, but after his encounter with Jesus, not only was he changed, but he changed his name because he said, I'm not that person anymore, and he began a ministry for the Lord. Come to Jesus, place your faith in Him, and find forgiveness, peace, and hope that He has promised. There's two takeaways I want you to get take with you this morning in this message. Two things. The first takeaway is this, that every opportunity to proclaim Jesus needs to be seized. We don't never need to miss a moment that God opens a door for us to share Jesus. There are too many people afraid of rejection, afraid that, that somebody will dislike us because we didn't share Christ, or we share Christ with them and they reject it. Folks, don't miss your opportunities to talk about your Lord. Don't, miss, don't tell somebody when they look at you and say, man, things just seem to always go your way. Don't look at them and give them a worldly reply such as, I must be lucky. No, you look at them and you tell them, I'm blessed because God blessed me. I'm blessed because I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm blessed because I know the one that redeemed me from hell. I know the one that saved me. I know the one that didn't just give me a first chance. He's given me second chances and third chances and, oh, I don't even know how many chances. You see, I serve the one that constantly loves me and never forsakes me even when I have forsaken in him. Don't miss your opportunity. The second takeaway you need to do to, to, to get from this message today is simply this. Encounter God and be changed. You cannot encounter God and not be changed. Folks, I believe this is the problem of the modern church, especially in America, that we have been changed in our heads, but we haven't been changed in our hearts. Not everybody, but some of us. We won't our head to, you know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus here, but our lives have never been fully yielded to the power of the Spirit. If we do not turn everything over to Him, we will never see the fullness of His power and His forgiveness. There is a process in, in which we are made useful, and, and, and that is better described in the Scripture in Jeremiah 18. In Jeremiah 18, beginning with the first verse, it says, The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And a vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in, his, in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you? As the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in mine, O house of Israel. I know this prophecy was talking about Israel, but Israel was God's people. And guess what? When you became saved, you became a God, part of God's people. Israel also is a spiritual representation of the church. I believe it is time for the church to quit doing it their way and get on the wheel. Oh, God, help me preach that. It's time for us to quit doing it our way and get on the potter's wheel. And how do we get on the wheel? Oh, God, just pick up the harvest and set it on the wheel. God ain't going to set this church on the wheel and spin it. He's going to set you and he's going to set me on the wheel and spin our lives. The Bible says that when Jeremiah was watching this potter, what the potter was making had become spoiled, which means marred, it deformed. Have you ever watched anybody work with clay? Have you ever watched anybody work on a wheel? And, and, and have you ever tried that? Anybody? 
Not the easiest thing in the world to do, by the way. And so they were working with, and if you do something wrong, you get it too thin, that whole thing will just kind of fall apart on you. Well, when it falls apart, the clotter doesn't pick up that chunk of clay and disregard it. What he does, he begins to rework it. How does he begin to rework it? He begins to pound on it. He begins to knead it. He begins to maybe add a little water if it needs water to make it more malleable. He doesn't disregard the clay just because the clay wasn't making what it should. He realizes it has to be remade. And so he doesn't throw away the clay. God help me. Somebody needs to hear that. He isn't throwing you away this morning. He's just ready to remake you if you'll allow him. And sometimes that process is a painful process. But when when God is through, it's a vessel of honor in His sight. Oh my goodness. He's ready to do that in some of us. He begins to reshape us. You must experience transformation. Paul was transformed. He had heard the gospel through Stephen and probably countless others. But this time he is, a, a, he is brought to a crisis of belief where all of that that has been pounding on him for years finally cracks open that heart of stone and he encounters Jesus and it is forever going to change his life. I think sometimes, don't, I, I ask myself questions about the scripture, probably some of you might ask them, I, I don't know, but I ask some crazy questions of myself. And one of the questions I asked myself while I was studying and preparing this sermon was, why didn't, Lord, why did you not start at the beginning before Stephen had to die? Why didn't you just show up while Saul was on his way to the stoning? Come on, how many of you, if you were Stephen, you might say, hey, that would have been a great idea. Why didn't you show up prior to the persecution of the church? Because I've got news for you. God always has a plan. And what men mean for evil, God means for good. Because God had to use Paul to do what? To get the church to get out of their comfort zone and spread out and start doing its mission among the world because it had anchored its hopes right there in Jerusalem. And that's not what God called them to do. He said, you were called to go to the whole world and the whole world is not Jerusalem. So persecution had to come upon the church in order for it to spread. The gospel. So God had a dual purpose in mind. So I asked myself, why? Okay. So you had to start then. He said, I had to start then because I had a purpose. I had a purpose. In other words, this transformation of Saul to Paul was this former persecutor, this former, former murderer, this, uh, this opponent of Christianity and of Jesus. This man was transformed by the gospel. Paul wants the church in his writings. If you read what he wrote in Corinthians and in Galatians and in Romans, and if you read what he wrote in Timothy, he, his heart's desire was for the church to be transformed and made into what it was supposed to be. In other words, he writes letters of correction to the church at Corinth saying, look, you strayed off the path. Will you not let the potter put you back on the wheel? Will you not let him make you into what he wants to be? church I believe that message is being preached today in your ears will we not allow him to bring us back to the wheel so we can be what God needs us to be to reach this county and beyond I don't know about you but I'm ready for revival to shake the lives of this community it cannot happen unless we get on the wheel mm. Mm. transformation involves training 
Paul did not immediately begin to fulfill his message, but Paul spent time in seclusion. Let's look at Galatians 1, verses 15 through 19. But when he, had, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal, in his, reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He's saying, I didn't go immediately and jump right into it. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I had, to, I had to learn. I had to prepare my heart to be used of the Lord. There's a lot of people that don't realize God is preparing you. God is getting you ready for His purpose. And you can, you can fuss at the process and, 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 and cry over the process, but God is going to bring you where He needs you to be. Not because You don't instantaneously get there. I remember when I was first called into ministry, man, I had a lot of visions of what I was going to do. But the reality of what I did and what I saw in my head was far from it. I didn't see, I saw myself pe preaching to thousands, not five people in Boone, Iowa. True story. <laughs> and five was the big crowd. <laughs> that was the big crowd. Oh my goodness. What are you saying, Pastor? We all have those dreams of what we're going to do when God calls us to whatever ministry we're called to. But we don't realize that we need to be trained. He says, nor in verse 17 did I go to Jerusalem to those who were, the, were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and, to, and returned again to Damascus. After, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to, be, to, to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Now, he was a great teacher, by the way. But I saw none of the, of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Paul was trained by Christ himself. He spent time alone with Jesus. He, was he, he also trained others. But before I get to that, I want to talk about being alone with Jesus. There's a lot of people who want to lighten the ministry and a microphone. I was talking with somebody this week, and if you've ever preached, preaching can become very intoxicating in a bad way if you let it. It really can. I know a lot of people that give over from the, they, they would rather have the applause than the anointing. You hear what I'm saying? And it's a seductive thing. And you, 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 better be, you better stay prayed up. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you, the day you are, are seeking applause more than the... I'm going to tell you right now, if everybody leaves here happy every Sunday, I didn't do my job. Amen. Amen. We shouldn't always leave going, well, that was wonderful. Some days I aren't leaving. Sorry, Joker, never listening to him again. And let the Holy Spirit work on you. Amen. Preaching shouldn't be always what I want to hear. That's good preaching, Phil. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm good at doing that when I don't. Paul writes in Romans, the 12th chapter, the second verse, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, a renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. This is where our minds are changed. It's changed in the Word of God. It's changed in the presence of God. The Bible says that Paul spent time alone with God. <laughs> and what, is, what did Jesus say? For those who enter in secret 
He'll reward in the open. We wonder why Paul's ministry was so anointed when he finally did begin his ministry. I believe it is because of the time he spent alone with God. The three years he sought the face of God. The three years he said, Lord, I persecuted them. Lord, I, I, I actually brought them to judgment. And now I'm going to go minister among them. Don't you know that's a mental block? Now I'm, ex- I'm wanting them to accept me as one of them. God, they're never going to do it unless they see you and not me. That showed once he began his ministry. It is trials that strengthen us and mature us. It is trials that make us into the instrument that God can use. Trials sharpen us into being the right tool in God's hands for the right job. James tells us that the testing of our faith produces patience. And I found we live in a society that doesn't have a lot of that. Come on. Just drive down 75 in the. Oh. oh, yeah. A lot of praying. A lot of praying. Worship music as loud as you can get it, I'm telling you. I have not really met too many people in our modern society very patient. Why? Because we live in an instant society. Amen. Do y'all know I was born, the year I was born was the year they invented the first remote control for TV? You know how I know? Because when I got old enough, it was, Phil, go change the channel. (laughs) Some of y'all get that later. Because you don't know a TV without a remote. If you never went to bed watching that little light on a black and white TV, some of y'all are like, black and white? Disappear? You haven't lived. Amen. You realize there was a time you could turn a TV on and there were no channels. Yeah, <laughs> they signed off for the night. Amen. All right, you say you're old. That's right, but you're going to get there too, so just hold on. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying we don't have patience. We want it now. We want it instant. We want it right away. God, I want to be used to you, so I am immediately uh, expect to be used. And God says, no, you go train for a while. You go mentor for a while. You go sit and learn about me for a while. You spend some pres- time in my presence alone, learning what it means to worship. Dwayne shared my favorite phrase, worship like nobody's watching. You learn to worship me in your own life like you should, and then we'll talk about what I want you to do. But before we can ever accomplish anything, anything for God, we first have to go through some training. That training can be taught by people, but also it is brought about through the trials in which we face in life. And some of the things that we face in life are self-inflicted. Come on. The devil didn't bring everything into your life. Some of the things are you. Amen? I think sometimes the devil looks back and he says, well, who are we assigning to fill today? Oh, that's all right. He's got it. (laughs) He's doing a good enough job of self-condemnation all on his own. We don't need anybody influencing that. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, listen, it is through your trials that God sharpens you into what he needs you to be. 
Oh my goodness. And instead of cursing the trials, if we would step into those trials realizing, God, whatever you're trying to do in this, Lord, I want to learn it so I can be, Lord, what you want me to be. I'm here to tell you, we would speed up the process a lot of times if we'll begin to realize that God is using everything for the good in those who love him. Isn't that what the word declares? That God is at work and there's nothing. Look, whatever the devil throws my way, God turns the tables on him. And I've got to learn to see it that way. The devil says, I'm going to fashion this and it'll destroy him. And God says, no, I'm going to take it from his hands and I'm going to use it for my glory because you're going to step up on your mess and make it your message. God is ready to use some of us if we'll step up. Amen. But your trials are working. We, we, yet we fight them, don't we? Churches are more concerned about their comfort than they are the pursuit of souls. And that has to change. If we're going to see a move of God, it will be at the sacrifice of our comfort. Amen? It will be at the sacrifice of me stepping out and being a a little more daring for God. Taking a chance on being rejected by someone I share the gospel with, knowing that I planted a seed. Taking a chance on praying some bold prayers that might not be answered the way I think they should. Amen? I got news for you. Not everybody I prayed for God to heal has God healed. But I'm not going to stop praying for his healing. You hear me? Not everybody has gotten saved that I've ever shared the gospel with, but I'm not going to give up on them. God's still got a purpose in their life. I want us to stand. This man Saul would go on to shake the world up. He would take what he learned and he would pour it into men like Titus and Timothy. He would take what he learned and he would go ahead and he would pour it into people like Priscilla and Quilla. He would take what he knew and he would pour it into people who loved God and had a passion to serve God. He would see the world changed. This man who was the persecutor of the church. I just want to bring that home for us this morning in this room and for those that are at home today watching or wherever you might be. If Stephen had been your son... If Stephen had been your brother, sister, uh, brother or, or someone in your family. And you had witnessed his murder. And you had seen the young man Saul standing there when it took place. And a few years later you come to church and you heard the pastor say today we got a guest speaker his name is Paul you might have known him as Saul (laughs) where would your emotions be well I know what I would think no you don't not till you're in that situation I believe the only thing that allowed the church to accept him 
was knowing that Jesus had accepted him. And not only accepted him, but had anointed him. And when they saw the presence of God in his life, they knew whether they agreed with God or not. I worry about some people because we pray for the lost, but there's some people we just don't pray for. And we're not saying we don't want them to get saved, but we're like, if they do, let them be on the other side of heaven from me. Come on. We got to start praying for people. We got to start praying for transformed lives. So can God use you? The answer is yes. You don't know my history. I don't have to. The answer is yes. You, you just don't know me as a person. I'm just... I know a young man got saved and the Lord called him into ministry and he came to me and was talking to me about it. And he said, you don't understand. I said, what? He said, I don't like people. I said, well, then I guess you're going to have to get alone in the presence of God till." until God replaces that dislike of people with a love because that's the only way you're going to fulfill his purpose you got to get on the wheel and let him tear out of you what doesn't belong and build you up into what you are what he wants you to be amen it's a process I got up this morning and I did not see in the mirror Jesus I saw me Oh, but I sure do want to see Him. And the only way I can do that is to allow myself to be on the wheel. And say, Lord, make me into what you want me to be, not what I think I should be. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. And if you're in this room today, you know that God has called you and you're ready to submit to the process that has to take place of him taking and making you into what he wants you to be then I want to invite you to come and find a place to pray no pressure from me just follow the Lord today find a place and pray find a place and talk to the Lord you feel a call in your life you say well don't worry about anybody else this is about you and God there's some people need to move in this room. God's dealing with your heart. He's dealing with your heart. He's ready to use you. Pastor, I'm afraid. I promise you there's nothing to fear. you got to obey. I'm just going to give us a moment longer, but there's somebody needs to respond this morning. There's somebody in this room that needs a touch from God and needs the Lord. There's... There's people in this room who want to be used of God. You say, Father, I want to use you. But in order to be used, you've got to be willing to be put on the wheel. I know that's not an easy call. I know that's a, that's a tough altar call. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll just listen to the Lord today, you'll walk out of here with joy knowing you're following the process of God. There's some others. Come on. There's some others. we got time this morning. we got time this morning. Come on. And I want to be used. God put me through the process. I know God's got to put me through it. I know that God's got to 
got to work in my life. He's got to change who I am. I know that this morning. I'm telling you, God's ready to do it. He'll meet you right here where you're at. And He'll begin to work in your life like He's never worked in your life before if you'll just come. Come on, church. There's some others today. God's dealing with your heart. Who's willing to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use my life. Here I am, Lord, I am submitted to you, God. I want to hear your call, Lord. God, you are the potter and I am the clay. Who am I to resist you? I'm not resisting you anymore. But Lord, I'm submitting my life to your purpose and your calling. If that's you, I want you to come. If that's you, I want you to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, there's some others. There's some others. Amen. I'm not a call you out from the pew type of pastor. I don't do that. But I'm telling you, God's calling some of us out today. He's saying, come, make a commitment. Come, make a commitment to what I want to do in your life. Lord, I don't even know what my future holds, but you know He holds it. Come on. Come on. Some of us, come on, young people, some of you got, you're making major plans about what you want to be. I'm going to tell you right now, do a gut check and say, okay, God, this is what I'm planning, but what do you have in mind? What do you have in mind for me, Lord? What do you have in mind? We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.